Well, welcome again. My name is Josh Golaxon. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to bring God's Word to you this morning. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5 again, same passage that we looked at uh, last Sunday, and we're just going to be focusing on verses 7 to 15 this week. Uh, It's printed on page 7 in your worship guide, uh, or you can read along in your Bible if you have one. Uh, If you grabbed a Bible from the table back there, it's on page 974. Well, as Dan mentioned, you know, the weather's nice and everybody's getting outside, everybody's being active. A group of us got together yesterday, our softball team, and had some practice and stretching out those muscles and, and warming up and Reminds me of growing up playing sports. Um, a lot of you can probably relate to that, playing sports growing up and having to, to run and be active. Um, you know, if you were a, a cross country runner or a track runner, uh, running was actually your sport. Uh, for me, I played sports like uh, football and basketball and baseball, where you had to run, you know, to train, but it was, uh, was kind of grueling. I remember. Running outside on our, our field and our track, you know, July and August days, just grueling heat, running wind sprints and just being exhausted and just feeling like, why am I doing this? Uh, running up and down the bleachers. And then in wrestling, we're inside the school, we're running the halls after a long practice, we're in our sweats, you know, just trying to lose weight. And I'm just like, who, who does this? Like, who runs? I mean, why would people want to run? I remember going on like, you know, one to two mile run a, a few times, like I left my house and, and made this loop. And I'm just like, this is horrible. Like, who runs? It's, it's crazy. And I, I remember just always thinking like, why would anyone ever want to run and, and train for a marathon? It's like the craziest thing. It's boring. You know, we always made fun of the cross country runners. I'm sorry uh, if you're a cross country runner, but you know, the football players run for fun. And, and I just thought running was just the biggest waste of time. Um, In 2010, when we were in China, I was 29 years old, and I was, you know, kind of a few months away from turning 30, and I was just feeling like, man, I really need to get in shape, and so I'm going to start running. So I started running, and uh, just actually kind of started falling in love with it, and it was the craziest thing. Uh, I remember running five miles to a McDonald's for a men's breakfast uh, with a guy, his name was Miles, so very, very perfect name for a runner. Uh, we ran to McDonald's, had this men's breakfast, and then the next time we went, he's like, all right, we're going eight miles. And I'm like, eight miles? Like, I've never run, you know, I ran five. That was probably the most I'd ever run. And we did it. And he, he encouraged me, and he spurred me on, and, and I ran eight miles, and it was just the craziest feeling, and all that work paid off, and all that dedication. Well, and then I was training for a half marathon, and, you know, the day came. Uh, I'd been training for like 15 weeks. Uh, flew to Beijing and uh, stayed with some friends. Actually went to the race with another friend, but he was kind of running at a different pace than, than I was. And so I was running by myself and it was raining. It was like 45 degrees. It was, it was crazy. But I'm running and, and I look over to my left and I see this guy, another white guy running about the same pace that I was. And I was like, hey, I'm going to try to keep up with this guy. And so, you know, I'm kind of keeping up with him, and I, so I go over, and I'm like, hey, how's it going? You know, like, what's, what, what pace are you shooting for? And, and he told me, I was a little faster than, you know, what I thought I could do, but I was like, all right, I'll, I'll go for this and see, 
see what we can do. And, and then I said, you know, what's your name and where are you from? And he said, Oli, and I'm from Norway, okay? Now, like, you think here comes some, like, you know, Oli and Lena joke, right? But, but seriously, this guy's name is Oli from Norway, and I'm 75% Norwegian, so I'm like, okay, this is totally ordained by the Lord. Like, I'm, I'm running along with this guy. And we just ran together, and we talked the whole time, and he's, I'm asking all these questions about, you know, like my name and all these things. I was so excited to talk to this guy from Norway, but um, I'm, I'm running, you know, I'm running with my kinsmen, and I ended up finishing the race and finishing in a better time than I, than I thought I could. And the, and the key, and I think why it was successful, is, is that we were running together. We were doing it together. I had a running partner and I think we all need running partners in life. Um, you know, some of you don't like to run, and it's not just physical running that I'm talking about, but um, it's the race of life. Um, the race of life, it's, it's hard, it's long. Sometimes it's going to be raining in 45 degrees. Sometimes it's going to be snowing. Um, there's going to be obstacles. But it's not, it's not a 40-yard dash. It's not a 100-meter sprint. Life is a marathon. And the good news is that the Lord has not left us alone to run this race. Uh, There's a great cloud of witnesses that has gone before us and already run this race. Many saints who have passed on before us. We have the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. And we have each other to run this race with. So I want to encourage us today to keep running the race. To not get sidetracked by false gospels and false teachings. And to use our freedom to love and to serve one another. Because the truth is that it's really easy for a lot of us to get sidetracked in this race of life. Maybe some of you are sitting here today and you're like halfway through and you just feel like, I just want to throw in the towel. I just want to quit this race. But there's, there's encouragement for the road ahead. There's encouragement to keep running the race. And we're going to see today from Paul, our running partner, that we are free to run and that in the gospel there is encouragement and joy for the journey. Please pay attention to the reading of God's word, Galatians 5, 1 through 15. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no value to you, no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. 
For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The word of the Lord. Let's pray again. Father, again, we ask that you would come, that you would open up your word for us this morning, that you would reveal wondrous things to us out of your word. Teach us to be a people that live for you, that love you, and that serve one another. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, again, Paul views the Christian life as a race. And it's not the first time in this letter to the Galatians that he has used this imagery of running. In chapter 2, he tells them how he went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus because of the revelation that he received in order to share it with the leaders in Jerusalem to share the gospel that he proclaims among the Gentiles. He said that he did it in order to make sure that he was not running or had not run in vain. Paul cared deeply about the race that he was engaged in, and he knew that it was for, for a purpose, and his defense of the gospel message throughout this letter, specifically in these verses, it's a great reminder that this race really matters. At the end of his life in 2 Timothy, which is the last book that he wrote, Paul tells Timothy, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Last week we looked at verse 5 in this chapter, which says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly await, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And we ask the question, are we hopeful and restful Christians? What does our race look like today? Why are we running the race that we're running? How are we running? And what is our ultimate goal in our running? Paul addresses these questions to the Galatians, and we would do well to ask these questions to ourselves today. He starts off, verse 7, he says, you were running well. Um, despite his frustration with the Gentile or with the Galatians that he's had throughout this letter, we see here in this chapter that he is for them. He is an encouraging running partner. In verse 1, he reminded them that Christ had set them free and he told them to stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He's not telling them to stand still, but he's telling them to stand firm. It's hard to run a race if you're standing still. But it's also hard to run a race if you've got a big yoke hanging on your neck or if you've got chains on your hands and on your feet. Stand firm as you run. Don't get sidetracked. That's what Paul is telling them here when he asks them the question, who hindered you from obeying the truth? Uh, the Greek word here for hindered, it has the root meaning, which means to cut off. So Paul here is picturing a race where we're running this race and someone comes in and they step in front of us and they cut, off, cut us off and they impede our progress in the race. That's what's happened here to the Galatians. Someone is, is stepping in and they're hindering their progress in the race. They're hindering them from obeying the truth of God. 
Well, what is this truth that Paul talks about? We saw it last week in verses 3 and 4 above. He says, if you accept circumcision as a way to be justified before God, not only are you obligated to keep the whole law, but you are cut off from Christ. The truth of the gospel is that we are free in Christ from the demands and the condemnation of the law. And Paul tells them in verse 8, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. In other words, it is not God who has called you to himself and has set you free in Christ. It's not God who's persuading you away from the truth and hindering your progress in the race. It's someone or something else. And then Paul's about to explain to him that he is not the one who is hindering them in this race. This hindrance, this persuasion is coming from the outside. And it's subtle, but it's hard to see and it's potentially deadly. He uses this proverbial saying that he uses in other places. He says in verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now those of you who have done any baking or maybe, maybe home brewing, um, you know how this works. Um, yeast is a living organism. It, it attacks the sugars, it eats the sugars, and it produces alcohol and produces CO2. If you're making bread, when you put your yeast in, it's going to invade the whole lump of bread. It's not just going to have one little part that pops up. It's going to invade everything. And it only takes a little bit. It only takes a little bit of yeast, a little bit of leaven, to influence that whole lump. In the same way, Paul is telling them that the teaching that has been brought in from the outside, it's like an invasive species. Um, if you read the post-Crescent, maybe you saw recently in the last, I think it was in, in March, um, they closed the Menasha Lock. That's the lock that connects um, Little Lake Butamore and Lake Winnebago. They actually closed it back in September of last year, and they just announced in, in March that it's going to stay closed indefinitely. So the boats cannot get through. Well, why did they do that? Uh, the DNR has found that there is an invasive species. They're called round gobies. Uh, it's a little fish, about three to six inches long, uh, actually from Europe, and they came over, uh, they found them in the, in the 90s, they came over in boats, and they've invaded many of the Great Lakes, and now they're in the Fox River, and they're trying to keep them out of uh, Lake Winnebago. So these little tiny fish, they have a really unique ability to survive in poor quality water. They come in and they, they eat the eggs of the native fish and they eat their young and they, they take over the habitat and they're able to spawn in just crazy numbers and it gives them a huge advantage over the native fish. Um, if you want to find out way more information, James is the fisheries expert, so you should talk to him about it. But... Um, so yeah, the, the Wisconsin DNR saw this problem and they said, you know, we got to do something about it. Sorry, boaters, we know you want to get into Lake Winnebago from the Fox River, but this is a huge problem. This, this false teaching that Paul is confronting here is kind of like round gobies. Um, this little tiny fish that you can fit in the palm of your hand, it's hard to imagine their ability to come and wreak havoc on a lake as humongous as Lake Winnebago. But again, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So I want to ask us today, what invasive species are you allowing into to your lake or to your river? What, what, what things from the outside have you allowed to creep in and to affect your heart 
and to affect your mind and to knock you off course and hinder you from obeying the truth. Um, I love our denomination's confessional standard. I love our commitment uh, to sound doctrine. But just saying that we're committed alone, that doesn't protect us from false teaching. Um, It's easy just to, to sign off on something and say, yeah, I believe that, and to give lip service to it while slowly invasive species can just kind of creep in and go unnoticed. Uh, in our pluralistic society, there's, there's temptations around every corner to add something to grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. Martin Luther said, in theology, a tiny error overthrows the whole teaching. So people might say, oh, well, what's the big deal about adding a little Eastern mysticism to my Christianity? What about a little New Age philosophy? It's harmless, right? What about if I just play with the Ouija board once in a while or do a little bit of witchcraft? Paul's saying, don't do it. Don't let these things creep in. Don't let these things cut you off and hinder you from running the Christian race. Those things will not produce freedom in your life. They will only enslave you. Well, despite the temptations that the Galatians have to get off track, Paul is not giving up on them. He's still running alongside of them, and he's encouraging them in the race. He has confidence in the Lord that they will remain committed to the truth of the gospel. So now he turns, he's going to address those who are troubling them, and he says that they will bear the penalty In other words, God is going to deal with them. God is going to deal with the people who are bringing in these false teachings. And then Paul, once again, like he did in the earlier chapters of Galatians, he's going to defend his ministry. He asked the question in verse 11. He says, If I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Apparently there were some people who were um, claiming that Paul was still preaching circumcision, Maybe it was some of the Judaizers that they wanted the Galatians to think that Paul was on their side. Um, But Paul flat out denies that accusation. He points to the fact that he is still being persecuted. Paul faced opposition everywhere he went for the gospel that he preached. He preached the gospel of free grace. And his message everywhere he went was that we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that true freedom from slavery to the demands of the law is found by being set free in Jesus Christ. And that was the message that his opponents hated and that they persecuted him because of. And then uh, second half of verse 11, Paul says, In that case, if I still preach Jesus plus something, then he says the offense of the cross has been removed. Well, what is this offense of the cross that Paul is talking about? This word offense, it means stumbling block, and it's actually where we get the English word scandal from. The message of the cross is a scandalous message. The Jews hated it because they could not accept the idea that the Messiah would die on a cross. It was scandalous. And it pulls out the rug from all of their efforts to be right with God by obeying the written law. Um, And for the the non-Jews, it speaks an equally condemning word. 
The cross tells all of humanity that took the perfect, sinless Son of God, dying as a substitutionary sacrifice on the cross to pay the penalty that you and I deserved for our sins. So it levels the playing field, and really, in a sense, it offends everyone. In chapter 6, Paul explains that the Judaizers want the Gentiles to be circumcised so that they can boast in their flesh. Paul says, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul boasted in the cross because he knew what it meant. It meant his own crucifixion to the world and the world's ways of obtaining salvation. He knew that the scandal of the cross was the only message of true freedom. And he boldly proclaimed this as he urged the Galatians to keep on running the race. Well, now we've come to the verse that you've all been waiting for me to explain and watch me squirm up here as I talk about it. Parents, listen up closely because you may need to talk to your children about this afterwards. In verse 12, Paul says, I wish that those who settle you would emasculate themselves. Paul is saying of his opponents that they want to do some ritual and cut off part of the male reproductive organ. Paul says, I wish you would go all the way. Remember in verse 7 how we said that the root of the word hindered meant to cut off? It's the same root word in this word here, emasculate. He's saying that those who jumped in in the race and cut off went in front of the Ephesians and cut off their progress in the race. Paul's saying, I wish that they would cut themselves off completely. This is very vivid language, very direct language that Paul is using with them here. And I think it's, it's hard to even really emphasize how strong this is. Um, Paul probably has in mind Deuteronomy 23 verse 1. Um, he actually, it's the same word that's used in the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament for the word cut off here. Um, in Deuteronomy 23, Moses is writing about those who are forbidden from worshiping with God's people. It says, no one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. So Paul is declaring that these Judaizers, these ones who are running in the race and cutting them off, the ones who are requiring circumcision and slavery to the law, he's saying, just like the, the law in Deuteronomy, you have no place among the worship of God's people. Listen to me carefully here. I'm not saying that if you're not a Christian, that if you're not a follower of Christ, that you're not welcome here in our assemblies. That's, that's not the message that I'm teaching. I don't think that's the message that Paul was teaching. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we're glad that you're here worshiping with us. But if you come up here and you grab the mic from me and you say, hey, listen, everyone, um, I just want to tell you that this whole Jesus plus nothing thing, I don't really agree with that. You know, I think it's Jesus plus being a good person and all those other things. That's not going to fly. We're not going to let you do that. And that's what Paul is saying. That, that type of message does not belong in the church. Now, it's okay if that's what you believe, but that's not what we're going to teach, and that's not what we're going to allow to be taught. And that's really what Paul is saying here to, to these opponents. He's saying, 
He's, he's telling the Galatians, don't go and follow this message. Don't go and follow these guys who are trying to add something to the gospel. And really, in a sense, if you're offended by what I just said, that's good. Um, I want you to be offended. I want you to hear the message that you're a sinner, and it's only by God's grace alone, and by Christ's sacrifice completely and alone, that you can be right with him. Um, you can't add anything to what Christ has already accomplished in your place. And that's, that's the message of Paul. That's the message of Christianity. Jesus Christ alone paid the penalty for your sins and my sins. And the message is to repent and to put your trust in him alone. Well, for the Christian, we need to ask ourselves, is the message that we are believing and that we are proclaiming to believe in the race that we are running, is it consistent with the truth of the gospel? Is the cross that we believe and that we proclaim, is it a scandalous one? Does it make people uncomfortable? Now, I'm not talking about just running around and being offensive for the sake of being offensive. That's not what we need. But I'm talking about being in step with a message that confronts those who are rebels against Almighty God and, and tells them that they need to trust him and him alone. Um, that's, that's what we need to be about as Christians. And it is only after we understand and believe in that gospel that we can understand what true freedom is and, that, and how we can live out that freedom in the world. And that's where Paul's going to take us next. Last week, we looked specifically at verse 6, where Paul says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. I shared a quote from Tim Keller where he says, Most people will say they feel most like themselves when they are truly loved and loving another, but that requires the surrender of a complete self-determining freedom. And I think that's what Paul is getting at here. In verse 13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We are free in Christ, but it's not an absolute freedom. It's a freedom that requires the surrender of our own complete self-determining freedom. Listen to how James Boyce unpacks this. He says, Paul has already spoken of freedom several times in this letter. From one point of view, Galatians is almost entirely about freedom. Still, up to this point, Paul has not yet defined it, at least not in practical terms dealing with the ethical life. Now he does so, showing not only the true nature of Christian freedom, but also that it is only through the life of the Spirit and by the Spirit's power that the Christian can live for God and not fulfill the desires of his sinful nature. Negatively, freedom in Christ is not license. Positively, it is service both to God and man. It expresses itself in the great Christian virtues. This latter point is emphasized by two contrasting catalogs of the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. So why is this important? Well, we're going to be spending the next couple weeks looking at the fruit of the Spirit versus the works of the flesh in the second half of this chapter. 
And if we don't understand that the freedom to live the Christian life comes not from obedience to outward requirements, but through the internal work of the Holy Spirit, who helps us to fulfill the law by loving our neighbor as ourselves, then we will keep falling back into slavery to the flesh and to the law. We will keep getting cut off in the race that we are running. But I want you to check this out. There's a really cool paradox here in what Paul tells us about our freedom in Christ. In the second half of verse 13, he says, Don't use your freedom as an opportunity through the flesh, but for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now the root of this verb here for serve is the word doulos, which is also the word for slave. It's the same word that Paul used in verse 1 when he says, Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't be a slave to false teachings about the gospel. You are free. Don't be a slave to the law. You are free. Don't be a slave to your flesh. You are free. Be a slave to one another by loving one another. You are free. That's how you fulfill the law. That's how you live a life that is pleasing to God. That is true Christian freedom. And Paul, knowing the strong desires, how strong the desires of the flesh can be, he doesn't miss this opportunity one more time to to warn the Galatians and to encourage them. Verse 15, he says, But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Biting, devouring, and consuming one another is the opposite of loving and serving one another. Dan mentioned it in his prayer. Um, Think about what we're going to be witnessing over the next seven months or so in this presidential race. We've already seen a lot of biting and devouring going on, and that's within each party. That's people who are on the same team. Um, What's it going to look like when the two sides are going after one another? What's it going to look like within our churches where Christians disagree about who is the best candidate to lead this country? I think we're going to have an amazing opportunity as a church to either show the world what it means to love and to serve our neighbor, or we can join with them in biting and devouring one another just like everyone else around us. Show me a church where that kind of division exists, and I'll show you a church that is not fulfilling its calling in the world. Emmaus wrote, what kind of people are we going to be? What kind of church are we going to be? I'm not talking about who are we going to vote for. I'm talking about how are we going to show the love of Christ to the world around us while the world bites and devours and consumes and destroys one another in all of the rhetoric that's going to be going on. And really, that's a great question to ask ourselves this morning as we come to this table. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians talking about the Lord's Supper, he addressed divisions that were going on in the church. This is not a time here this morning for us to be divided. This isn't a time for us to to take sides, to line up on different sides. This is a time for unity. And this is an opportunity for us to get right with God 
and with one another. This is not a table that's only for members of Emmaus Road. It's not only for Presbyterians, but it's for anyone who has placed their trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Some of you might not be there yet. You might not be ready. You might say, you know, I'm not really sure about this whole Christianity thing, this, this Jesus alone thing. And that's okay. Um, we'd love to talk more with you about that. On page 8 on the top, uh, there's just a paragraph and a, and a prayer there for those who are not ready. Uh, so you can, would encourage you to take some time to, to read over that. Uh, for those of you who will be coming forward to take communion, we have uh, the bread here. We have gluten-free bread if you, if you need that. And um, then we will pray for the kids when, when they come up. We'll uh, line up in two rows. You can just come up in your rows. And uh, then if I could ask the, the servers to come forward.